Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Music 101. I am joined with a very special guest, Luke, from Great Good Fine OK, as well as many other things that I am excited to dig into. And uh, we're going to talk about all the things that we talk about on this podcast, production, making music, being in a band right now, going on tour. Um, So without further ado, Luke, how are you doing? Thanks for joining. I'm doing good, Scoob. Thanks for having me on. For sure, man. Um, I hear you have a tour coming up. That's super exciting. Yeah. Um, so with, with my band, Great Good Fine OK, we're going out uh, for like pretty much most of the month of April. Awesome. So kind of just getting everything, starting to get things ready for that. That's awesome. Get the rehearsals yeah. going. I saw you had a set list post asking for people to chip in songs they want to hear on tour. I love that. Yeah, trying to tap into the hive mind a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Because um, it's definitely like, you know, at this point, we just have way more stuff than we can fit into even an hour and a half set. Of course. So we're just trying to find the sweet spot of like, you know, new things from from the past year that we've put out, plus everyone's favorites from the last like six, seven years. I love it. Your debut is in 2013. So yeah, you got almost 10 years of... Yeah, we've been at it for for a minute here. Love it. That's awesome. Well, excited to talk about that. I think maybe we we should start just talking about what it actually goes into preparing for a tour. Because I feel like most people just kind of see the end product. They see the band comes mm-hmm. through and they, they see the show. But they don't yep. like think about all of the different decisions from, you know, maybe like you guys are a, a duo, but then you have additional musicians come play. Maybe like we could talk about the rehearsals, the the experience of like inviting more people into a sound um, like, for example, I'm a solo artist, but I want to play with people live. It expands things. Um, how do you kind of go about, like, finding that fit, finding the people that you want to take with you on tour, or deciding, like, are we going to do a duo thing? Are we going to do a, a four-piece? Like, how how do you kind of, like, go about, like, thinking that through? Yeah, so I guess um, when John and I started the project yeah. in 2013, um, you know, after we we kind of just made one song together and uh, we were like, this is cool. We should keep doing this and you know, see what else happens. Yeah. And um, we sort of got to a point where it was like, you know, starting to gain some traction and things were doing well on uh hype machine. Oh yeah. Remember that thing? Oh yeah. I remember that thing. That was like, it the, was like the godsend when you're like, Oh, we're trending on hype machine. Yeah. That was totally. Huge. It's like, yeah. it feels like it was, it was easier to put music out back then. Cause I agree. you know, you it, were it was just like, at the whims of Spotify editorial playlists. It was like, it was both broader. If people don't know what it is, like you had like all these different blogs that would post about you. And if you got on enough blogs, it would aggregate it. And then you'd be trending as like somebody that you like, it, it had that, it had that sense of if you connect with a larger community and then it mm-hmm. can pipeline you up to, you know, people that are just trend watchers. It was a best right, and I think worlds. you know the way we had done it is yeah. we knew someone at one specific blog that okay. was particularly influential, and a lot of other blogs looked to this blog. Yeah, yeah, sort of as like a tastemaker for sure. And uh, you know, once we got picked up by them, like all these other people started to see it, and then yeah, it just started taking off on Hype Machine. Um, so yeah, it was it was good to get some some eyes and ears on it right from the get go. Totally, but um. We so that was in like, you know, maybe August or September of 2013, if I'm remembering it correctly. Cool. And then uh, we we got selected to play at South by Southwest the following March, and that was going to be like the debut of you know the live show and everything. Mm-hmm. And we decided that we you know we wanted it to be a band in some way. John and I had both played in you know various other bands. Uh, coming up before that so we knew we wanted it to be more than just the two of us on stage with like tons of tracks right exactly exactly um you know we've always had backing tracks in Mm -hmm. the live show but we wanted it to be you know something where most of the parts were being covered by actual humans right um and yeah i mean the the band originally was a five piece oh really Cool. Yeah, and it, it's now a four-piece. A um, couple people have shifted in and out, but yeah, the current iteration of the band, we've been playing with these guys for probably four, four or five years at this point. That's awesome. Yeah. How, how and do they're you... just, you know, they're just homies. They're just uh, 
guys that uh, I went to music school with. I love it. I love it. How how do you go about like? So I know that this is a hard thing for a lot of musicians and also music fans. Like I think have a sometimes like a hard time grappling with the idea of tracks. Like some people are like morally opposed to it. Other people have like a really hard time even knowing what's in a track or like mm-hmm. what's going on. How do you like go through that that idea that like process of being like okay this should be a part or this should be adapted or even ignored but this part is so supportive like a like an arpeggiator or something that like needs to be super locked to the click or I don't know something like that like how do you decide what gets thrown to a musician or gets thrown into the track the backing track on the computer That's a great question I think um and I mean there's even some instances where like things will sort of be coming from both yeah 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 yeah. that's a good point um just for like reinforcement or right. you know because the thing is like you just want it to sound or at least for me in this setting mm-hmm. you know i just i just want it to sound really good and tight and you know full yeah um i guess the biggest challenge for us is um john does a lot of falsetto vocals mm. and you know those tend to be pretty low volume coming into a microphone and this microphone is also on a stage with an actual drum set you know sometimes only like five feet behind him (laughs) so it's like this it's ends up just being a room mic for the drum set yes um yeah so you know just to make sure like the vocals cut through enough we Mm -hmm. do have like you know a fair bit of those on the track especially Mm -hmm. on just choruses or things Mm -hmm. where it's supposed to be you know super in your face I, I hear um, that. Like, do do you also think of like stereo for those kind of sections? Like, that's something that I I always am curious with. Some some people are mono tracks, some people stereo tracks. I feel like sometimes one of the beauties of choruses, just to make them feel like the a width. chorus, even is like yeah, it opens up. Yeah, it's, and it's I think stereo. totally. Um, you know that's interesting because some clubs you get into and it's the system is totally I know. mono. I know. Like there's it sucks. There's just no stereo. <laughs> yeah. Um. I've been there. So actually, you know, I think the initial versions of everything was uh, a little less refined and, you know, we were just doing tracks out of one stereo output. Yeah. Um, but now we do it where we have like a stereo pair of vocals, a stereo pair of track, nice. which is just yeah. everything else. Yeah. And then um, a mono bass track. Cool. And then if there's any like stereo information that's in the bass of the song, I'll just kind of like filter side that yeah, so that it's yeah. just like the sides are going into the the tracks channels got it yeah um and that yeah just that way our the front of house engineer can kind of have some control adapt things yeah. yeah that's a good point what do you use uh in terms of like like splitting that and and feeding it out to the board um like to be able to have all those different stereo outputs so it's all it's all running out of ableton nice um and you know every song is a little bit different in terms of like what what's within the Ableton session that I have access to to be able to turn up and down. Sometimes it's like you know we're in the tech rehearsal before the tour, and it's like I'm literally sitting there uh, printing out just what should be in the track, and it just comes out you know as a two track for sure. But other times I have like a little more control mm-hmm. uh, where I have just various stems that I'm kind of rebalancing. Okay. And then sending out of those outputs. Cool. Very cool. And then the actual um, like hardware that you use, like coming out of Ableton on a computer, obviously coming out of Ableton and then sending it out to the board. Do you have like a audio interface or something like that? That's yeah. So we use, we use this thing. Uh, it's called the eye connectivity. Nice. What's the that's name cool. of it? It's sort of like specifically built for, um, you know, doing live oh, neat. stuff. Cause it has a redundant, usb input so you can actually have two computers plugged into it at once and uh as soon as it you know loses connection to one it just flips over to the other dang that's awesome how cool is that so so you know yeah yeah look that up because i'm totally gonna steal that from you (laughs) yeah we don't we don't use that we don't use that feature of it but yeah yeah totally but it's cool like uh, it's the iConnectivity play audio 12 so it just has 12 12 mono outputs that's awesome that's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Um, speaking of Ableton, I want to talk a little bit about um, DAWs because I, I just had some um, people kind of hitting me up on Reddit. Um, shout out to um, 
people that message each other on Reddit, which is like not a very large <laughs> community. Like yeah. I, I have like, you know, like seven followers or something on Reddit. I don't know, maybe a little more than that, but those are like, holy crap, I have Reddit followers. Like who, who nice. follows each other on Reddit? Um, but anyway, uh, some people were sliding in my DMs asking me about where they should start going into audio production and wanting to look at a digital audio workstation, DAW. What's, what's your take on it? Obviously, Ableton has got some, some benefits for live. I'm loving what they're doing with like the community and the mm-hmm. ability to like quickly build plugins and stuff like that. So I kind of feel like Ableton might be the future, but I just wanted to pick your brain on it. What do you, what do you use? Yeah. What do you prefer? Different things I for use, different situations? I use Studio One. Cool. Sweet. I've, uh, I switched over to that yeah. in 2018 from using Logic yeah. for probably 10 years. Um, and I've, you know, I've always kind of used pro tools off and on in the uh-huh. background. For sure. Um, I think the first one I ever used was a combination of, uh, Fruity Loops. Nice. And Acid Pro Music. Yeah. I had Acid Pro Music. That was my first dot too. Yeah. Yeah. Loop Town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would like use the, the demo of Fruity Loops to like export loops. Oh, cool. Because there there was no restriction for that. You just couldn't like save a song. That's you know? funny. And then I would kind of construct them in Ableton. I or, love uh, Acid. I love how all those weird like product demo or like software demo things end up creating. Like I do the same thing where like I have this, I think it's called Twangstrom and it's a spring reverb mm-hmm. and it's ridiculously expensive, but it lets you demo it and then like bounce things out but every once in a while i'll just have like this epic white noise swell <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just think it's so funny how like like i think i actually snuck one of those white noise swells into one of the songs it's like that is hilarious of this like oh it's not just demos. a burst it's like a, no, it's, like, it's like an ocean wave yeah totally that Ooh. just kill like takes over all of your audio but i think it's funny how those things end up like on like definitely not intended but they end up sparking creative um, workarounds right yeah it's kind of fun Cool. That's cool. So, so definitely, um, I, I'm mostly a Pro Tools guy, but I'm probably switching after this record, probably to Ableton, just from what I've been seeing from my friends. But yeah, yeah. Ableton does seem really cool. Um, I guess I've only really used it as uh, a way to drive our live show. That's the only, only way I've used it too. Is I've only used it in like the actual Ableton live capacity. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so I. Th- you know, I feel like I know it pretty well, but I haven't, you know, I don't think I've really taken it through its paces in a creative sense. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not so uh, hip to just like all the kind of sound mangling possibilities that exist there. Oh yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible. And it seems a little bit more, uh, I don't know, like geared towards super fast workflows and um, mm-hmm. like I, they have like really nice search bars and stuff like that for, for plugins and things, which I find kind of attractive instead of like on Pro Tools, I'm like going through different right, menus yeah. and yeah. So Studio One is, has all of that stuff you're talking about, like cool. has all the search. It's very uh, drag and drop. Nice. It's, it has Melodyne integrated into the Ooh, interface. That's fun. So you can literally click like, you know, any region that mm-hmm. you want to Melodyne, hit Command M and it just pops up. Oh, that's nice. That's really nice. Can you, um, so for people that don't know, Melodyne is like auto-tune, but um, a lot more uh, control, at least in my experience. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot more hands-on. Yeah, yeah. And and you can also do like crazy stuff with it. I've I've been really enjoying playing with formants in Melodyne. Like, yeah, that whole, the whole thing down at the bottom where you can, you know, adjust the structure of all the levels of the individual harmonics. Yes, crazy stuff that thing has some pretty nuts like sound design possibilities exactly totally i did um so i have a hyper pop song that i did with my friend called 5g baby and like literally the entire song is just a like pad that was created out of like a chant and people playing in a playground and stuff but like Mm -hmm. pitched it into the key and then messed with the formant and the harmonics and stuff like that and then it turned into this weird synthesizer um, it's very unsettling, but because it's hyper pop, that's kind of what you want, I guess. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, I want to talk about um, like creative workflow and like production arranging kind of stuff like that. Um, sure. So 
how do you usually, you know, start a song? Does it come from different paths? Um, like, how do you kind of get into that mode of experimentation and you have a blank session? How do you start to fill that up? Um, man, it's, it's kind of different every time, same. I think. Yeah, same for me. Yeah. It's like, I'll just, it'll be whatever I'm kind of into at that moment. Like, yeah. you know. Do you feel like you like this is a, this is kind of my my process like I, I'll have some nucleus I don't know what it'll be it might be a rhythm it might be a synth it might be a guitar part a vocal line whatever and then I'll just kind of like dance around that that nucleus do you have kind of like a similar process or do you like plan things out more and more pre pro sometimes you know I will if I know I'm kind of like going into a uh, you know concerted writing effort mm-hmm. time period. Mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll sort of just like set some stuff up for myself, like give myself some parameters. Okay. Like uh, maybe build a template to use. What does that What does that look like? Like um, a template in terms of like form or kind of like the different just tracks. Just like more, just like uh, these are the synths I'm gonna use. Cool. Like here's a bunch of like tracks with like weird vocal effects that I can just like okay you know throw a vocal down onto it and it'll like do something fun. Okay. That's um, cool. It's fun. Yeah, but just like, you know, a few of like the synths that I that I'm using most. Mm-hmm. Um and then yeah, that that way like, you know, when I sit down to actually just come up with stuff, yeah, I sort of have a, a bunch of stuff ready to go. Nice. Um That's cool. So you're basically like taking some of the like production and like arranging like workflows and separating them a little bit so you can be more creative on the actual part writing while making some of the creative decisions ahead of time in terms of like at least starting sounds. Yeah. And so I guess like to, to give you a little context, the way that um, it's usually happening is like, you know, I'll be in the room Mm -hmm. with, uh, with John, with other writers as well. Cool. Um, And so there's, you know, it's usually just like, okay, cool. Like, what are you guys feeling today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes like someone will just throw out like a feeling or like you know any kind of thing to just sort of inform what the vibe is okay sometimes i'll just be sitting around you know playing different patches and someone will be like whoa that's really cool let's uh make something out of that cool yeah yeah and it just sort of you know once you like once something gets sort of thrown out that everyone sort of grabs onto Mm -hmm. um i feel like you just kind of take that and run with it love it and that kind of sparks sparks that like collaboration yeah yeah um then moving on from there so like say you you like wrote a song you have kind of a demo a general kind of vibe maybe not everything is all fleshed out how do you take that to that next level like that pre-mixing but like that finishing yeah like that we're talking finishing the finishing like that is before the polishing that 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 time is super fascinating to me because like a lot is talked about about like mixing and mastering a lot has talked about songwriting, but what about that that middle gap? Like, how how do you take it from there to there? So you mean like after you have sort of the whole song mapped out? Yeah. So more like, or less? like 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 that 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 lim- like kind of liminal area of like you have the song form, you have the lyrics, you have the melody, you have most things tracked, and now it's kind of like time to add in the sweeteners, add in maybe like a bass track or finalize some things, you know, like maybe there's some stuff that's like, ah, that's a demo synth. Like I want to dig deeper into that sound, that moment where it goes from a being a demo to being like a record, like the thing that switches it over to being like, Oh, I wish, I wish that that was just like a moment like that that just happened. It's, uh, it's, uh, more often than not, like just a lot of hard work. Yeah. A lot of experimentation. Yeah. A lot of like, you know, sometimes in the in the initial session, I'll get lucky and I'll pick some good sounds that I can really just sort of run with mm-hmm. until it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like most of the time it's sort of like, okay, this is really good, but it could be, you know, better and just kind of have more of a purpose mm-hmm. uh, sonically and, you know, just be more of the right sound. Yes. Because I feel like, uh, you know, it's really easy to just fall into the trap of like trying to keep 
mixing something and tweaking the sound, you know, yeah. with EQs and everything like that until it works right. Mm-hmm. But I feel like uh, the easy, the the more direct route is just to figure out the right sound. That's that's a really great point and something that I did want to talk to you about. I think the hardest thing for me is synth design. I know that might be one of your greatest strengths. Can you talk about, like, the reason why it's hardest for me is because it is so easy to change, at least with software synths. I feel like that might be one of the benefits for analog synths. But, like, it's so easy to be like, no, completely different. Like, mm-hmm. fundamentally changing the waveform, the even, like, everything about the processing, choosing a different software synth. There is just, like, infinite possibility. How do you, like, when you're doing synth design, try and make that process, like... <laughs> more uh <laughs> less sporadic or like how do you find how do you find like yeah that's right the sound or do you just kind of like hunt and then end up stumbling on something or is it like way more intentional i'm always curious it's all of the above all of the above honestly. yeah totally yeah totally. it's sometimes i'll be you know i'll need i'll have a section of a song that just you know needs like a, a really specific kind of sound maybe mm-hmm. there's like you know some reference that i really like and for sure you know yeah kind of geeking out trying to get something to just fit in sort of the same way okay yeah and um yeah like a lot of times i'll just sort of rapid fire make like a bunch of different versions of it okay that's smart sort of like copy the track down and just try it on a different synth try it with a different patch like Mm -hmm. try it you know what i mean yeah and then um go through and edit after the fact like Uh take a break from it come back cool and then be like maybe you know one of these by itself is the best one or maybe uh-huh. like this one with like a tiny bit of this one under it right um maybe it doesn't need like these other layers yes so like that's one approach another one is just uh you know being like i'm gonna do this with the juno cool or like i'm gonna yeah. do it with the profit right and just sort of like zoning in maybe a lot of times i'll have the midi sending out to the actual hardware synth okay so that I can then be, um, you know, adjusting the envelopes and the filters in real time. Great way to do it. Yep. And totally. I think that sort of gives you, it's, it always is going to give you something that's a little more human. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's like a super quantized part, if yeah. you're there, like actually moving the knobs. Yes. Um, you know, you're kind of like helping it to breathe mm-hmm. with, you know, the vocals or whatever it's accompanying. I, I like I like that too because you're kind of just like you were talking about um, with those like arranging songwriting sessions, finding moments to kind of separate the, out the process. Um, I find mm-hmm. that really valuable too, where it's like, okay, I got the part, let's get the sound, and then you can route that MIDI over to um, an actual analog synth or something like that, where you can start totally. playing yeah. tactilely. That it it unlocks something for sure. Yeah, I think having just having the right part is is a big. Mm-hmm. That's like the most important thing. Having the right notes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like making sure the notes are like taking up the right, like if the voicing of the chord is like off yeah. in like too high or too low, that can throw things off. Mm-hmm. If it's like too spread out when it needs to be more clustered together, yeah, that can throw things off. Yes. Um, but that's, yeah, it's just all down to like how that part fits in against like, you know, whatever else is going on, the bass and the vocals and that's something I, I also want to talk about. Um, I, I've only recently con- started to consider myself a mixing engineer. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I've always done, I've been doing production for the last 10, 15 years or something crazy. Um, but I always handed off my productions to somebody else to clean it up, to do the, the adult work. <laughs> like, make, <laughs> like, go ahead and make it real, make it sound better, make things not step on each other. Um, right. last two or three years, I've been really trying to focus more on mixing and, uh, the last like year and a half in particular. Um, and I feel like it's changed my sound and like the way I approach arranging. And I want to see if this is kind of similar to you. Cause just what I'm getting from your answers are kind of give me that mm-hmm. vibe. Now I think more in terms of frequencies, even the notes sometimes, like, like you're talking about like those glue tones, like the, the, the things that are going to be like reacting to the other instruments and like sitting well in a mix and filling up the sonic spectrum and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You, I love what, what you do in your band of like the feeling of being incredibly full 
and then cutting it more sparse. I feel like you do a great job with like contrast and your level of fullness is higher than I think um, some people are able to get to. Like, cause then it sounds cluttered. I don't, I never feel like your stuff sounds cluttered. It just sounds bigger. Like you have like curtains that open up and it's like wider now and it's brighter and it's got more things going on. When you're arranging, do you think slightly from that mixing engineer side? And do you think that like your, your time on the technical side has influenced like your musical creative arranging brain? I think, yeah, they definitely both sort of influence each other. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of crossover between the two. Cool. Um, so I actually, I have a background in, uh, you know, writing music for a big band. Cool. Jazz big band. Cool. I didn't know that. And, That's uh, awesome. and some like orchestra writing. I did that in college awesome. a bunch. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I guess that, that sort of just got me thinking about like, okay, we have these different sort of sections. You know, you have five saxophones, you have four trombones, you have four trumpets. Okay. Um, they yeah. all have different like ranges. Uh-huh. There's like different things that sound good together. You can have like maybe two saxophones, a trombone and a trumpet doing something and like, you know, split up the band into all these different groups. For sure. Um, but yeah, I think I think doing that and like just maybe even more so with my background as a keyboardist. Okay. Um, you know, you just, you start to hear like when just, you start to learn those uh, harmonic mm-hmm. sort of relationships. Okay. Um, like how, what's the lowest you can play this kind of a voicing. Okay. Yeah. Before it starts sounding muddy, you right. know, like right. what's, how far can you push that? Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's, that goes a long way into into like, you know, helping things be feel big or small. It's a good point. That's a really good point. I I I am a bit obsessed with the idea of scale because I think it's one of the most interesting parts of arranging and mixing and the way that they fit in together. Um, mm. What do you think about like in terms of the way bass plays into that? I I always kind of feel like that's for me at least is like that's my scale button. <laughs> it's like whether or not the, the bass guitar. Yeah, is Yeah, totally. It well, it's sort of like, it sort of informs um, how high above it you can build. In a okay. Way. That's interesting. You know that, what I mean? I'd like to hear more on that. What, what like how, how so like is, is like a foundational thing, like the whole tower will collapse if you don't have that foundation or is it something more about like the harmonic series that it, it opens up? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, well, it's like how loud, how loud and how low is the bass? Okay. And um you know, how much what kind of a bass is it too? Like do okay. you need to hear the harmonics of it? Like does it need is it like a super clean like 808 sub bass uh-huh. where you sort of need to like leave a lot of space above that frequency wise so that it cuts through and you hear it? Yeah. Or is it like a more rich like uh electric bass with a pick right that's that's gonna cut through more and you can sort of use it almost as a percussion instrument totally um yeah i feel like i feel like what what the bass is and what it's doing is gonna inform a lot of the things about the mix that's a great point and i totally agree i um i've been doing a weird thing arranging wise that i think it works for me i'm not sure if it will work for other people who are like in a more collaborative setting but i've been recording the bass last like even after final vocal, sometimes I'll have like a ghost bass in there, but oftentimes mm-hmm. I'm just like kind of flying blind, dropping the bass as like the ultimate glue guy. Cause I feel like it's, you know, I like I'm a more of a fretted guy, like fretted, like yeah. guitar bass guy. And that, that's like, I guess yep. my equivalent to like what you're saying on keys is like at the very end, then I have more of a perspective of like, Oh, this needs picked bass or this needs palm muted. That makes a lot of sense because, you know, I feel like you, you sneak a lot of melodic action into your bass parts. I want it to be like quasi counterpoint with some of my bass parts. Like, yeah, I want it to dance with the melody. I don't think I always pull it off, but that is at least my goal. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I think I spent a lot of time thinking about that too, sort of in like a, you know, especially when you like listen to like, you know, James Jamerson or some of that 100%. like yep. Motown stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like just the way that the bass serves the melody, I think is super important. Yes. Um, and can just totally change the feeling of a song. Totally. And it and it opens you up, I think, to be simpler in other like domains. 
when the right. base is being that supportive. Um, yeah, I, I love how like I don't know. There's there's this there's this like sense of like at least one of the things I'm trying to get to is like sampling music. I'm trying to inform my own music by the way that people sample other people's music. Like trying to be recursive about that. Like think about like mm-hmm. how would I sample myself, and then like how do I part right around those kind of ideas. I feel like that's a similar conversation to that like mixing, arranging conversation, the conversation with like other genres and stuff like that. Like, can you talk about maybe places you draw influences, places that um, like songs that you're into, you were even just playing like some stuff on, on your Spotify that I thought sounded pretty cool. And <laughs> before we started recording, can you talk about some, oh, like, yeah. some of the, like maybe yeah. places that would surprise people be like, Oh, you know, I'm like really into like 18th century polka or something. <laughs> uh, my number one favorite band of all time is Steely Dan. Yeah. Awesome. Um, it's, you know, being like a jazz head, it's sort uh-huh. of, it's, uh, you know, it's jazzy, but it's also like just super precise. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, they really like spared no expense in just getting like the absolute best band and performance for every single track on every single album. Yes. Um, I'm a, I'm more, I think I'm a gaucho guy. I think that's my number one. Where, where do you, where do you fall in terms of? Yeah, I would, I think I would agree. Nice. I think that it just seems like sort of the arrival point uh-huh. of uh-huh. it. You know, I'm yeah. a, definitely a big fan of like the, the Fagan solo stuff also from the eighties. Totally. Uh, the Nightfly specifically. Awesome. Um, super good. Yeah, I mean, I love Asia too. Asia yeah, and sure. Asia and Gaucho. Yeah, cool, cool. Same page here. Yeah, <laughs> nice. So no, I mean Bernard Purdy is the reason why I started to try and play drums. I'm still not really a drummer, but um, he's he's at least the person to blame for my my yeah. Ambitions. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's just the best. Totally, totally. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm with all that. Let's talk a little bit more about kind of that mixing process now. So like, you got you got the tracks down you got the sounds locked in um obviously there i don't know not maybe not obviously do you have some mixing along the way like are you kind of like shaping these things along the way or do you just kind of come to it fresh at the end yeah no i think you know even starting on the first day like Mm -hmm. as the demo is going down Mm -hmm. it's i'm mixing it i'm mastering it you know cool you're yeah you got like just like what does this sound like when it's loud am i is it like yeah because that that'll tell you right away if like you know, your bass is too loud or like something's just really out of whack. That's a good point. Um, point. Yeah. So I like, I like to throw that, you know, just ozone thing on there and uh, do like the autopilot feature and have it just do whatever, you know, the robots think should happen. Cool. A lot of times I, I uh, throw things up onto Lander, which is another um, AI mastering service. Mm -hmm. Um, That's actually quite good. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's it's not like perfectly what you want, but it it'll always sort of give me some information. Like mm-hmm. you know, your mid range is maybe a little too clustered, or yeah, you know, things that I should maybe take another look at. Yes. Um. So yeah, in a way that those things sort of uh, just save me time of you know things that I might realize if, if I like took a month off from the song and then came back to it, or if I cool. you know sent it to a friend and had them listen to it. Helps um, you get just, that like kind of new perspective. Yeah, it helps you yeah. get some some objectivity to cool. it. That's a good way of looking at it. I like that a lot. Um, I actually um my my first few records are released with Lander Masters. Hey, <laughs> I mean, I yeah, <laughs> they don't sound great. I think they're like it. It sounds fine. I, I don't think anybody's gonna be. But there there is like a noticeable. I have a song called "Moving to Canada," and everything after that like instantly sounds better because I'm using a real mastering engineer for the rest. But yeah. there are great good final case songs that have been landed. I love it. I love it. Sometimes, sometimes it sometimes, sometimes it just it wins. I don't know. I agree. I agree. It I depends always, a lot I on like what yeah. you put into it. That's true. I think that's that's the whole thing, right? Is like yeah. I, I think. Um. I think one of the most interesting things about like mastering chains in particular, and do you, do you do your own mastering or at least kind of some I, of it? I do. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the things that I mix for other people, I also master. Cool. That um, makes sense. I feel like a lot of with, with great good final case stuff. I like to get it mastered by yeah. someone else. Yeah. Same. Same. I'm, I'm on the since same I've page. spent so much time with it, you know, totally. I think it's so interesting how like, 
don't know. I, I've gotten, I've developed like a really good relationship. Riley Knapp is the guy um, who masters my stuff. He has a, he has a, or he had a project um, RKCB. Um, that's really cool. Um, and he's making other music too. Uh, he, uh, he's like, has a certain vibe that like now I find I'm mixing for, like I hear like, okay, this is what he will kind of do. I have kind of, oh, a, interesting. it's almost like I'm, ma- I'm mixing to his mastering chain somehow cool. after, you know, yeah. it's like after a year and a half or something like that, you start to like get a, get a vibe. I feel like the same thing with Lander. Like after you put stuff in the Lander after a while, you start to like think like, oh no, that shaker is going to be too loud if I Lander this or you know something yeah exactly you know. right you get an idea of like how things are going to come back right yeah yeah for sure um on the mixing process do you do you like to like solo stuff listen to things on their own things in groups i know everybody's kind of got their own flavor some people leave the vocal on the entire mixing session do you have any sort of like so i guess through? this question really would only have to do with like things that i that I get just yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. as a mixer, right? Just as a mixing engineer, right. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, usually I try to get the drums sounding good. For sure. I think that, you know, just really sets the vibe of, of the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, drums and bass Do you, do, you and do drums like all at the same time or do you like go super hard on like kick snare and then bring everybody in or it it sort of just depends on the song like sure. if it's if it's like a, a actual kit with mm-hmm. multiple mics mm-hmm. you know there's like things i'll do with like gates and stuff like that just yeah. to clean it up a little bit yep um and for that i will probably solo things yeah, for sure same um yeah i mean if it's if it's like an electronic like just a bunch of samples and stuff then maybe it's just like a balancing thing or like slight EQs. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, I'll show you this thing. Yeah, go for it. So this is, this is what I use like when I'm just sitting down and like doing a mix. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Soft tube console one. Dope. So the top part is kind of just like, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, all the components of a channel strip from any console. Uh, so you have like the, you know, input gain, mm-hmm. high, high cut, low cut, um, the first dynamic section, which has like, uh, sort of like a transient designer thing, like attack and, uh, you know, decay mm-hmm. and a gate as cool. well. Cool. And then EQ, uh, compressor. And then there's a, there's a drive knob, nice. which will, will, depending on what, uh, type of like console you have loaded into it. Mm-hmm sort of like, you know, emulates whatever sort of harmonic distortion or saturation you would have gotten from, you know, using an SSL or a Neve or whatever. For sure. Um, And yeah, I think that using that just really helped me kind of get faster. Yes. Um, I feel like before I started using that, you know, it was harder for me to do a mix in Mm -hmm. one day. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, yeah, but but now I feel like, you know, it's just so hands-on. You're just, you know, making decisions. And mm-hmm. before you know it, it's like, wow, this this is starting to come together. Yes. I love that. That, like you're saying, it's not quite a switch, but you feel that, like, the tides start to turn. You know, mm-hmm. there's always, there's at least for me, there tends to be a dip where it's like, what have I done? Like, I need to start, like, and then it, then it all kind of yep. comes together. It flips over. Yeah, like the Uncanny Valley. Yeah, totally. I, I end up there a lot. Um, yeah. that, that, you know, that's okay. There's a, there is a, there's a value of living there every once in a while too. Totally. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I think it's so interesting, like talking to people that are involved in every stage of that process and then also people that are have moments of isolation. Like I'm doing that too now where I'm just mixing people. And it's such an interesting, like kind of brain bender to an extent, at least for me of like, well, I wouldn't have made that decision, but like, do I want to now force this synthesizer into like my world and like saturate the hell out of it or anything like that? Or like, let it be right, its right. own thing. Like how, how do you approach that as a mixing engineer? Are you just trying to like make the, the song like the best it possibly can be or do you feel like you're kind of putting your own thumbprint on it i i feel like i'm putting my own thumbprint on it like I, just to be honest yeah <laughs> I, I think i don't know if i'm a transparent it, mixing engineer yeah it's it depends on like it depends on the song it yeah. depends on like 
how it was recorded. It depends yeah, on the yeah, artist. Just, for sure. And I think like, but you're probably right. A lot of that is like, what, you know, how does it affect me? Like, what does it make me think? What yeah. does it make me like want to change about it? Yeah. Right. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I do, I do spend a lot of time, uh, a being with the rough mix that came to That's me. Smart. Yeah, totally. I do that too. Because, um, you know, I feel like everybody spends a lot of time on their stuff before you get it. Exactly. And, uh, you just want to make sure that you're not um, taking away any of the magic right. that was there. Right. Just for the sake of like cleaning things up or you know, exactly. whatever. Exactly. That, um, on that point, tom mics are always really tricky for me because like on a real live drum kit, there is so much bleed in a tom mic and you maybe hit the tom twice in the whole song. So I, my instinct. Yeah, tom mics kind is, of just generally don't sound good right totally that's my instinct is just clip that off and then we're good but every once in a while especially if they didn't have like a room mic or they didn't have something like that you clip it off and you're like oh it's so clean now um and you're not sure if that's what they were they were looking for so one of one of the things i want to talk yeah. to say, t- say to listeners is like at least from my perspective don't be scared to process your stuff or like make decisions before the mixing engineer like it's so much easier. Like from my perspective, if, if somebody sent me their drum track and they clipped out the toms, they're like, okay, that's what they wanted. Great. That's what they're looking for. Or if, if they totally. have the room mics turn on or off, this is a big deal for me is like when are room mics on, um, like just like you were talking about with tracks, like the backing vocal, like coming in on a chorus, it makes it feel more like a chorus. Sometimes having a room mic completely changes the dynamic of how the, the drum kit is interacting with everybody. So, yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like send us less tracks, like make yeah. decisions. Yeah, exactly. You know, people are scared, and I, I was too, and I get it because you don't want to like mess up because you think, okay, the mixing engineer knows more, and yeah, a lot of times they will in terms of like very specific technical things. Yeah, but you also know like yeah. what sounds good. Exactly. If it sounds good, it is. Yeah, good. that's that's it. I, I um, hyper pop has been really fascinating to me because it is like the ultimate expression of if it. If it sounds good to you, it's good. Like my mastering engineer friend, he said that he was sent something that was clipping the like, um, not not unlimited. It was clipping the logic thing by like 24 dB or something like that. And he's like, that's what he wanted. So then he mastered that. And it sounds unlike anything I've ever heard because it is intentionally insane. And yep. there's some there's something there. It's like kind of punk rock. I like it. Totally. Yeah. So like yeah, make decisions, um, and your mastering engineers will uh, will know which path because there's there are like infinite paths for us to take. Yeah, it's, it's good for you to point us in the, the right direction because oh man, does yeah, it suck I mean, when you're like no, you gotta do it all over. Sometimes though, like you know, your job is to like kind of mute things here and there. Like, it's true. are there yep. too many things going on? Maybe they didn't realize that like this part by itself could sound as good as it. That's a good point. Does right, um, and like you know, no, there's I, I you, like it. there's like a lot of it's like every song is just totally different. So true, it's so true, and that I feel like that for me is summed up why mixing is fun, is it's always different and it's way more creative than I gave it credit for. Yeah, it's it's fun. I think because it's hard. Yeah, it's super hard. It's like if you're the type of person who likes trying to get better at hard things uh-huh. then like mixing is mixing is for you it's right <laughs> up there yeah enjoy enjoy life of pain and <laughs> pleasure right but, but it's like you know once you get through the painful part and it just and oh, you have that moment where it, it clicks it's all worth it again yep yeah no it's so true um i'm trying to think of anything else that we haven't covered that you'd like to to speak on a bit um Talked about the tour, talked about synths, bass, arranging, songwriting, mixing, yeah. a little bit of mastering. I uh, I do some graphic design stuff as well. Let's talk through that. Yeah, the visual component. That that that's really fun. Yeah, I see you do you do a lot of like 3D and kind of like immersive kind of feeling, like world building kind of stuff. Can you talk about like how did how did you end up working it with graphic design? Like how, how do you feel like that's an extension of music? It's fascinating. Uh, well, I guess, you know, 
initially I, it was you know being in bands even like back in high school it's like yeah. okay we need a poster for this thing coming up uh, yeah okay right. i have a computer right. i'm gonna figure out how to do it uh-huh um i don't know i was always sort of into that stuff i remember even back in like third grade mm-hmm. i was like the kid who knew how to make uh those giant banners on the dot matrix printer oh yeah yeah you know, yeah where like it would just keep spooling out um, love those things. Those are awesome. So like the rest yeah. of the class would be doing like a math lesson and she's like, Hey Luke, go make us a, the flyer f- the, for this thing. We need a banner. I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. sweet. sweet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then the, the 3d stuff, I just kind of started messing with it. Um, you know, driving around on being on tour with the band and mm-hmm. kind of sitting in the backseat of the van mm-hmm. needing something to do. Yeah. So I just, uh, kind of started teaching myself how to do it cool and it's you know there's a lot of similarities with uh with music and mixing and producing with Mm -hmm. um you know making 3d renderings it's um it there's like a technical challenge to it but it's also it's very rewarding Mm -hmm. when everything kind of starts coming together yeah um one of the things that that's really fascinating to me about it is just like you know, you can build this environment or, you know, an object mm-hmm. in three dimensions and then start placing lights and, you know, yeah. shoot it with a virtual camera. Yeah. And then the software will just calculate, you know, based on all of the, you know, physical properties of the objects in your scene, mm-hmm. sort of like what happens to those light rays. Love that. Like, is this a super shiny object or is cool. it like, you know, is it... Is it refractive? Is the light going to bend when it goes through it? Yes. Um, and once you once you start seeing all of that magic happen, it's just is like, yeah, it's super fun. I, I love that. It's almost like uh, similar to like how reverb <laughs> kind of like a good IR reverb right. is. Yeah. All the reflections and dropping your head yep. into a space. That's really cool. Speaking of which, I love the reverbs on your music. I think you do a wonderful job of Space oh, thanks. creation, and it's it's one of my favorite things is when the reverb goes away. Oh, I love that. Right? Yeah, because if there's always reverb, it's like, yeah, well, there's no contrast. Exactly. I love contrast. Um, so that's that's a really interesting point with like you know virtual cameras. I know that that's like, yeah, obviously that's the secret sauce about these three D renderings is what you can actually do with it once you're you know moving things around. Um, how mm-hmm. how about like I like animations or like, like movement within those spaces. Like how do, how do you approach that or like think about that? Um, especially like the subtle ones. I really think that's cool. Yeah. I mean, some of it, it's, you, you just sort of look at the scene and you're like, okay, what can I, what can be animated about this? Cool. Yeah. Like what can, what can move around? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is, uh, like, you know, just sort of like, uh, these dynamics simulations where it's like, you know, this object has mass and there's gravity and then it's going to be affected by colliding with this other object. Cool. Yeah. Um, And so it's just sort of like you set up these constraints Mm -hmm. and then hit play. Awesome. And it kind of just automatically does it and it looks amazing. Um, The same thing with like, you know, fluid simulations like smoke or water. Right. Things like that. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. Um, those those are a bit more time consuming just because it takes the computer super long time to calculate. Yes. You know, especially when you get into like millions and millions of particles flying around. Yes. Um but yeah, I mean once you once you just get all the right initial conditions for that simulation, it mm-hmm. you know, and you get the look that you want, it's definitely it's super satisfying. Yeah, it sounds super rewarding. Really, really cool. And um, starting to dip into some of that, but that's more uh, my buddy Max um, Horwich, who's doing um, some stuff in Unity and some kind of like 360 music videos that we're doing around mm-hmm. filming on a green screen. And then we're putting it in like different environments using like basically, which Unity is like a game engine, VR engine. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's that's where all this stuff is really heading. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the angle that I'm kind of coming at it from is mm-hmm. like, it's definitely less real time. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, it'll take anywhere from 20 seconds to like 10 minutes just to render a single frame yeah. sometimes, depending yeah. on what's in it. Um, yeah. And a lot of times you can get something that looks 
pretty much as good as that out of Unreal or Unity mm-hmm. that plays in real time. And you can, you know, you can like walk around it. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, yeah. And the, the, I, this, we're doing the same stuff with the, you know, position of the sun or the virtual lights and stuff. Like one of the, one of the things we just um, released a few weeks ago has got like a disco ball in the middle and just like the way the things accurately refract off of this disco ball. Um, that alone is like mind blowing to me. I, I feel like it's easy to sometimes consume some of these things and just be like, yeah, it looks like world. But then taking that step back and being like, no, this is like kind of remarkable that we have gotten so accustomed to <laughs> like virtual things feeling somewhat realistic. Yeah. I mean, it's just, we're starting to get desensitized to it a little bit. Isn't that weird? bizarre totally but but that's also kind of a fun challenge i think and i think your art in particular does a really good job of like ripping them back out like yeah i mean it's i don't know i feel like when i'm making those things it's just sort of like you know you sort of lose i feel like it's the same as like working on any kind of art where you just sort Mm -hmm. of get in the flow and you're just totally engrossed in what you're doing you know i just kind of lose myself a bit yeah. Isn't that, um, isn't it weird that some people have never felt that? I feel like that, I want to change that. I would like everyone to feel that feeling. Totally. Yeah. It's definitely an essential part of, of being a human. I, I think. I agree. I agree. So listeners, <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is, but try and, try and find make that stuff. feeling. Make stuff and lose yourself Just in make it. stuff. And, um, you'll get addicted to it because look at the two of us clearly. Yep. We're, we're yep. junkies for um, whatever that thing is, that flow state. Is this where you end can, up? <laughs> there's so many different ways to get there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Even, even like simple things can bring you there. It, it doesn't even need to be like making a high scale art or something like that. Like I think so many, there, there are so many paths up that mountain. Um, so just, yep. just take them, just try and find them for you. That's right. Um, and with that, I feel like that's, that's probably a good, good place for us to wrap up heartwarming little, um, send off for everybody that uh, <laughs> made it to the end of this pod. Uh, so yep. Luke, thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, yeah, of course. Anytime. And, and check out your website. Um, you want to plug anything else? You got the tour coming up. Definitely go check out Luke on tour. Yeah. Yeah. Come on out. And, See if we're playing in your city. And your website, is it just greatgoodfineok.com? Yep. Sweet. Yeah, and we're on, yeah, got all the social media, greatgoodfineok on Instagram. Yeah. Um, I'm Luke Molman on Instagram. Check them out. Check them out. It'll be worth it. And if you want to <laughs> um, hit me up, slide in my Reddit DMs. You could be my eighth Reddit follower. Um, you go to pizza. You can find all of my links there. Feel free to hit us up and send us any questions, slide in our DMs, all that good stuff. Thanks so much, Luke. Really appreciate it. Sounds good. See you next time. See you next time.